We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real Steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. There are multiple generations of American soccer fans, including me, who grew up watching games from overseas featuring English language commentary with almost exclusively British voices. But times are changing. As our American soccer culture continues to evolve, an array of unique, different, and non-traditional voices and styles are being added and used to call the game we love. And they're becoming more accepted. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast. We look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. As you heard, we'll be talking about the changing voices of American soccer broadcasting. We'll have our Mossy Makes the Case segment. We'll be answering your questions in our Ask Alexi segment and so much more. But first, as always, joining me, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire, back from his European vacation, his travels. How are you, Mossy? I am good. Uh, full disclosure, I bought a Firmino scarf and a Richarlison scarf in Liverpool, which I was going to wear today, but I forgot them in my apartment. Luckily, Luis Aguilar stepped up and gave me as a gift this nice little Christmas hat here with the little Lacoste, which, as you know, is important because of they're course. a sponsor. Branding, very uh, important. So I, I am wearing something for the occasion. Your personal your personal brand there. Uh, yes, uh, we are in the festive mood. We are in the festive time, as they talk about. You have just returned from an epic, uh, I'm, uh, was that okay if I say it's epic? An epic uh, vacation over there, uh, soccer vacation over in England. Uh, give the folks a, a, just a uh, Cliff Notes version synopsis of where you went. Yeah, it was a great uh, time. Kudos to Keith Costigan who did all the legwork, uh, great seats to all the games. We went on Monday, we went to Goodison Park for Everton-Watford Premier League match. Then on Tuesday, uh, Anfield for Liverpool-Napoli. Uh, Wednesday, the Etihad for Manchester City, Hoffenheim. And then Thursday, the Emirates for Arsenal, Carabag in the Europa League. And uh, had a great time. Liverpool and, and Manchester exceeded my expectations in terms of cities. The whole Beatles stuff in Liverpool is so cool. I went to the Cavern Club where they got their start. And obviously London is like one of my two or three 
uh, favorite cities in the world. So being there is always great. I went to the National Gallery Museum, and, and so fantastic week. Wow, that is a, a soccer orgy, if you will. Oh, sorry, yeah. a football orgy. Now, you spent some time in uh, in true, authentic, real soccer culture uh, <laughs> and, and country, right? Uh, did you see any difference? Could you smell the difference? Could you taste the difference? You told me that uh, Anfield was a, a bucket list type of thing and yeah. was not only lived up but surpassed your wildest expectations. Yeah, it's funny. I've been thinking a lot about different soccer cultures uh, because we – came off this great MLS Cup in Atlanta and everybody was raving about the atmosphere there. You had the whole Boca River thing and then playing in Madrid and then I go to England and experience that. So at some point we'll have to revisit that because it's a fascinating aspect of the sport, how different uh, countries sort of demonstrate their passion differently and and all that. So yeah, that was cool. Did you find at any point uh, that you wanted to pick up the, the local jargon? Did you find yourself saying mate and cheers and all the different things that uh, we sometimes associate with soccer snobs and the affectation that happens over here with American soccer folks here? But when you're in it, when you're knee deep in it, I, I would think it takes on a, a, a bigger life of its own. Yeah, no, I did, yeah. And I also actually had one incident at a hotel where I kept asking a chambermaid where the elevator was, and she had no clue what I was saying. I had to repeat it three times, and then <laughs> luckily somebody else overheard, like, he means lift, and that's what they call it there. And so. I, I got a feeling that it had nothing to do with why she was so bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, it sounds uh, it sounds like fun. Uh, I'm glad you were able to do it. Well, I'm sure you will pepper uh, future episodes with, with stories as they... Well, as they come back to you, because probably some of it you've, you've forgotten, you would be reminded. We went out every night. There was one crazy night in particular where I woke up like face down on the floor of the hotel room. It was like straight out of the movie Hangover. I had no <laughs> idea how I got there, but I was there. And uh, let, oh, let's that not, makes me so happy. Yeah, let's not uh, talk about that night. That makes much. me so, so <laughs> happy. All right. Well, you're back here. You're slumming it with us, you know, back at the, uh, you know, here at Fox and uh, back to the old grind. We got Bundesliga that we are cranking out this week. Uh, it is that festive time. So many games uh, coming fast and furious. So we got Bundesliga. We got all sorts of stuff that is happening when it comes to soccer. We're going to get to a lot of it in this podcast. But as always, on the State of the Union, we start off with Alexi Lawless's State of the Union. Yes, it's time for my State of the Union, where I look at a part of the game from an American perspective. And this week, it goes a little something like this. The ear wants what the ear wants. In the TV business, how you say something is as important as what you say. There are multiple generations of American soccer fans, including me, who grew up watching games from overseas featuring English language commentary with almost exclusively British voices. So it's no surprise that we have often equated the ubiquitous British broadcast voice with authenticity and unconditionally accepted it as quality. A voice can change perception of commentary. It can help or hurt. It might not be fair, but it's true. I get it. It's like if you change the soundtrack to your favorite movie. The Star Trek theme is great, but if you put it in Star Wars, it just doesn't sound right. We all take comfort in familiarity, and in history, and in tradition. But times are changing. Our American version of the sport is changing. As our American soccer culture continues to evolve, an array of unique, different, and non-traditional voices and styles are being added and used to call the game we love. And they're becoming more accepted. In that sense, soccer broadcasting is mirroring America as it incorporates and reflects the incredible diversity of our great country. Yes, there are still those who struggle to enjoy a game called by someone with a non-traditional English language voice. There are those who still cringe at the use of words like soccer, cleats, field, or jersey. There are even those who will recoil, usually privately, 
at the sound of a female voice calling a soccer game. It's disingenuous to say that the voice of a broadcaster doesn't matter. It does. But the palette of voices on U.S. soccer broadcasts is expanding. And while the ear still wants what the ear wants, there is a new generation of young American soccer ears. And they will hear things very differently. And that's my State of the Union for this week. Mossy, we've talked about this at times in to, to different uh, degrees, but I really wanted to get into it here because over the uh, years that I've known you, you've had some hot takes, if you will, regarding this subject. First off, do you agree that it is changing? Second off, do you agree out there that the ears of people out there are changing? Or do you still think that the British voice is just so forever linked with what authentic and uh, traditional broadcasting is, that that is always going to win out? There's been some progress made, but I think it's still an uphill climb. Can I get my Ian Dark spiel out of the yeah, way? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. You've wanted to do this for a while, so get it out. And, no, look, look. and, and for the record, I worked, I worked with Ian Dark. I worked with Adrian Healy. I worked with Martin Tyler. We worked with Keith Costigan. We work with more traditional British voices, and we still do. This has nothing to do with whether they are quality. Ultimately, either you're quality or you're not. How you say things is important, but in no way is this going to turn into a bashing of British voices. It might turn into bashing of people that we don't decide necessarily believe are good, but it's not going to be about bashing British voices. No, listen, Fox and ESPN have a different philosophy on this. ESPN just announced last week that John Champion is mm-hmm. coming over to the United Another States Another one I've worked with. Great pro. MLS games. And look, Fox is far from perfect. I don't agree with everything we do, but on this issue, I'm on Fox's side. I think part of the growth of the sport in this country is developing American voices on television. Ian Dark is a phenomenal announcer, but for an Englishman to call U.S. World Cup matches on American television is weird to me. You just you never convince me otherwise. Uh, when you know when they had their Gus Johnson moment, which was Dave O'Brien in 2006, their reaction was to go all in on the British thing. And when Gus Johnson didn't work out at Fox, we went to John Strong instead and made him our lead guy. And you know I might get crushed for saying this on Twitter, but I think Fox is on the right side of that one. Do you think that Gus jo- Johnson, the experiment with Gus Johnson, and, and that's, uh, look, I know Gus too, and he's also incredible <laughs> at what he does. So I, I f- kind of feel I have to qualify all of this stuff that we do, which is important. Be- but do you think that it didn't work out because he wasn't good at calling soccer or because he was calling soccer in, an, in a non-traditional voice? No, the issue with Gus was uh, I think he would have had to drop everything else and really immerse himself in soccer, and he just wasn't willing to do that, which is fine. It's his prerogative. He loves football and basketball and other sports, and he wanted to keep doing those, and it just became uh, you know, tough because to, to really sort of make progress and gain that credibility with the fans, you have to really become a quote-unquote soccer guy. And so he just made a determination that uh, he wasn't really – willing to do that and go in that direction in his career. And so it was fine. I mean, and we moved on. So, so let's, let's, let's highlight the example of somebody who has done that. So we work with John Strong. He is the voice of American soccer and a, and a true talent. But he still takes plenty of crap for either the way that he calls it, the words that he uses, or just, once again, that, that voice that at times irks people that want it to have 
once again, that soundtrack that they have associated soccer with from an early, early age. And when we're talking about the, I know we're, we're focused now on, the, on the, the, the British accent. It applies to all of the accents that are now part of this palette that I was talking to. Even the one you're listening to right now. I know that I, I, I use words that, that make people cringe at times. I know my Midwestern accent, sandwich, hockey, soccer, all that kind of stuff. It, it, it's, to some folks, it hurts the ear. And it might turn them off. Regardless, I could give them the key to life. I could give them the cure to cancer. And if it's coming with, with my accent, they won't, they won't listen to it. But, you know, it's um, Hispanic American type of accent. It is, as we mentioned, uh, you know, female voices. It applies to so many, so many different things. But I do feel that, like you said, it is changing and there is a greater acceptance. Uh, it's not going to, it's not going to go without a fight. And there are people that are, that are, that will refuse, either refuse to listen to it or just will listen to it with a tisk tisk, and I can't believe this is happening. And I don't think that that is going anywhere anytime soon. But this is, you know, this is a labor. This is each and every year trying to change it. But the way it gets changed is by having quality people. Because John Strong, just to be considered good, has to be really good because they're going to be people that are going to diminish him simply because he doesn't have that traditional voice. If you are, uh, you know, and pick whoever it is, whether it's a female voice, whether it's a different type of accent, once a regional accent, a uh, an international accent, all that kind of stuff, in the way that that you you pronounce the words and the way that you pronounce the names, you just you have to be so good that 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 people are able to forget that the people that 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 do care about are able to forget it. And that is not an easy feat by any stretch of the imagination. It's so funny because if you go to any other country in the world, you have people from that country as the prominent voices on television. But somehow in the United States, it goes back to this sort of inferiority complex you always talk yep. about that the U.S. isn't allowed to sort of carve out its own soccer culture. It has to be kind of beholden to uh, usually it's England that they sort of take their cues from. So it's, it's a funny dynamic. Now, does this palette start to expand even more so? And maybe this is an overall sports question. We have a way of, of producing and broadcasting soccer. I, I sometimes get angry when people say, well, why, why are you changing this? There's already a set template. This is how it's supposed to go. Why are you trying to fix it if it ain't broke? I understand that to a certain extent. But if you use that in any other walk of life, then there would be no evolution. There would be no progress. There would be no change. There would be no... Michael Jackson, well, I mean, pick, your, pick your innovator, pick your game changer that said, yes, this is how it's been done for so long, but I'm going to do it differently. Uh, this past week, our good friend Stuart Holden uh, over there at uh, Turner and Steve Nash did a players-only type of broadcast at Barcelona. Barcelona in Champions League was hosting Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, we even talked about it last week. Uh, you weren't here, but we talked about it last week that they were going to come in for an incredible amount of heat. They knew that going in because you are trying something new and you are trying something different. You know, you have to try something different in order to find what will work, in order to change, in order to evolve. Okay, and it doesn't just apply to soccer. Rush Limbaugh on Monday Night Football, Dennis Miller on Monday Night Football, that kind of stuff. You can say, well, that was, that was ridiculous. All right, well, you didn't like it because a lot, too many people just didn't like it. But it could have gone well. And there's other, there's other things that have been throwing stuff against the wall that he said, all right, that's, that's pretty cool. But unless you try it, uh, you're never going to know. 
They came in for the. I don't know if you saw this or, or heard about the uh, uh, Stu and uh, Steve, but they knew they were going to get criticism, uh, and they did. I didn't think it was as bad as everybody made it out to be, but I recognize that for a lot of people, it was such a foreign type of experience to hear that that it it jolted them in a way that they don't want to be jolted during a game. Now, this is Steve Nash, the basketball player? Oh, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Well, let me ask you a couple of questions sure. related to if Fox came to you and said, we want to try something, we're going to put you and Warren Barton on a game without a quote-unquote play-by-play guy, and, and you might have to be sort of the quasi-play-by-play guy. Would you feel comfortable trying 100%. that? 100%. I told Stu. I said, Stu, look, I know you're going to take a lot of crap this week. Just know I'm jealous. I would love to be able to do that. <laughs> I, yeah, no, I, I, I think... I, I would love the challenge. I know I would be good at it you know, because I'm awesome. And I would I, I love people that want to do some different things. Not just to do different things just because you're just doing something different. I understand that there is a way to do things and an established way over time that has that has come to be represented when it comes to soccer. And this is this is where because we are we're not behind, but we're certainly not at the at the level of uh, of history when it comes to our game as other countries and cultures. But you mentioned the other day, there's a reason why it works over there that doesn't work over here. Because of our incredible diversity, we are so unique. If you said, well, this is the Italian accent. And look, there are dialects in, in Italy, as you know, by the way, how, how the Italian lesson's going? Uh, excellent. All right, wonderful. Uh, there are dialects in Italy, but ultimately it's an Italian accent speaking Italian with an Italian accent on those broadcasts. Well, what's an American accent? You know, the the spectrum is still so big because of the unique aspects of our country that there is no one way to speak if you're an American. That's a good thing. That's an okay thing. And so when we're talking about soccer, there's no one way necessarily to broadcast Americans to to broadcast soccer when you are when you're broadcasting it for Americans. Now, there is plenty of people out there that like myself and others that have grown up where we were desperate for 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 soccer and we got VHS tapes sent to us and it, the soundtrack to all of those were those British voices. So, does it does it and this is this is not a, a gotcha question or anything like that. Um, and I do believe it's a fair question. Does it irritate you when you hear, for example, a female voice broadcasting a game? Uh, no, it does not. Liar. You're such a big liar. You, you, you really? It doesn't irritate you at all. It's okay. It doesn't make you, it doesn't make you sexist, all right, if, if it irritates you to hear a, uh, a female voice. You want, you want your, your passion and your love given to you in a form that you like. It is, it is your opinion. It doesn't mean that that people are just going to change because of you. The world is changing. And by the way, I I, I completely agree. I, I don't think that you're a liar here. I, I know I accuse you of be, being a liar. But there are plenty. I'm just saying there are plenty of people listening right now that if we really got their their answer. And by the way, not just men, but also women. If we really got their their uh, their answer uh, in the dead of night when we are our most honest, they say, yeah, it irritates me. That's okay. It's okay. You're not a bad person. Okay, if that's if that's what you want, in, in the same way that you want your music in a certain way, uh, you like a, st- a different style, or you like a different genre, you like this person singing, or you like just. But ultimately, recognize that the game evolves, the game is moving, and the game is going to be moving on. And once again, this isn't 
an effort to not have British voices. I, I, I love the stuff that all the people that we named do. But it's just to, an effort to expand that palette. So when those people that do have a problem with it, over time, you hear it again and again and again, it becomes less of an irritation to them. And who knows? Maybe they might grow to love it. They may grow to become so accustomed to it that they, they treat it on an equal plane as anything else out there. What about, last thing for me, uh, what about the lingo? It's been kind of fascinating for me to jump back and forth and write shows for Rob Stone and right. Kate Abdo because they both are very bullish on saying things their way. Like if I put field for a Kate show, she'll change it to pitch. If I put pitch for Rob, he'll make sure to change it to field. Right. Does it bother you when you hear Americans use terms like pitch and nil and feel like they have to say that to sound authentic? It bothers me when there is an affectation and they're using it. <laughs> and, and, and by the way, the reason why Kate and Rob, uh, and they're not here to defend themselves. And I love both of them. I work with them constantly. But I truly believe that there is a, there's a sense of ownership and a sense of, yes, they feel a little awkward and uh, pompous and snobby or, or different saying those words that you write that, w that wouldn't necessarily flow off the tongue or they wouldn't necessarily. But there's also a sense of pride in that this is who we are. And I, I get that. I love when I say soccer and it irritates somebody. <laughs> I love when I say pitch and cleats and all this kind of stuff. Now, I grew up saying it, so it's normal. It's what I say, but I'll be damned if I'm giving that up to satisfy you or, or somebody else's snobby elitist type of a version of what they believe the, uh, the sport is. The one that gets me, and I'm actually a big fan of this guy, but whenever Kyle Martino says gantry, to refer to the commentator booth. And I've actually, I had him on the, the radio show with Eric and I called him out on it and we had a big laugh about it. But for some reason, that always gets me. That's such a weird term coming out of an American's voice. What do, what's a, what do we call a gantry over here? Was there a-, a, a, a Broadcast a, booth. A broadcast booth? Yeah. Yeah, I've never called it a, a, a gantry. <laughs> but you know, he's, I get it. He's also steeped and uh, steeped now in the uh, in the EPL having worked and, and done such you know, a great job with him and his folks over at NBC. But- you know, all of this is to say is that as we come to the end of this year, and, and by the way, this will be our last full broadcast. We're going to have some very special broadcasts as we go through the festive period. Is that what they call it over there in, uh, in, uh, in England? Uh, as we go through the, uh, the holidays here, we'll have some special episodes of the State of the Union podcast. It will be, uh, this will be our last standalone full podcast. But all of this is to say as we head into the New Year is that once again, this, this American soccer culture uh, continues to change and how we talk about the game uh, and how we see the game continues to evolve. And that palette continues to expand in a good way. But the only way you get that palette to expand is sometimes you got to force some things through. And sometimes you take a step back in order to go, to go a couple steps forward. Whether it is having female voices call the game, whether it is having... Midwestern voices call the game, whether it is having players-only broadcasts of the game. Uh, all of it, either the, the people are going to like it or they're not going to like it. If you believe that they're going to like it but it needs time, then you need to give it the time to marinate and give, give people the time. If it's just a one-and-done thing, then people are going to scream and yell. And guess what? The people that scream and yell the most might not even be the majority, but they're going to scream and yell the most because what are you doing? You're changing their game. And that scares the bejesus out of a lot of folks. 
they don't want the game to change on or off the field. They want that feeling that they had when they were children. They want that feeling that they have had growing up. They want that feeling that they equate with, as I said, authenticity and a real experience. And for so long, that template and that version has been, as we said, very predictable and understandably so because that is what has worked and worked very, very well. But you know, in, in that unique aspect of what we are creating here in the United States, I think we more than any culture and country around the world, we have the capacity to expand that palette and make it not only bigger, but I believe ultimately uh, better. All right, anything else, Mossy? Nope. All right, moving on. Hey guys, it's Alexi here. More of the State of the Union podcast is on the way. But first, I wanted to tell you about a service every soccer fan needs to check out, Fox Soccer Match Pass. With Fox Soccer Match Pass, you can stream live and on-demand matches from the Bundesliga, international friendlies, and more, all on your favorite devices. The best part? It's all ad-free, and you can cancel at any time. So check out foxsoccermatchpass.com and get started with a free seven-day trial today. Now back to the show. Mossy makes the case. Yes, it's time for Mossy Makes the Case. Thank you, by the way, for pre-recording last week. Uh, I was able to hear your voice and uh, get one of your cases uh, last week. But you're here, back, live and in person to give us yet another Mossy Makes the Case. What do you have for us this week? Uh, My case is that we already effectively have a European Super League. The Champions League round of 16 draw took place today. And in truth, it didn't produce as many mouth-watering matchups as I expected. But still, uh, I was really struck in the days leading up to this draw by how impressive this round of 16 field felt. This has been a big theme of mine this season. I did a similar Mossy Makes the Case after the group stage draw. Because of the threat of a Super League, UEFA were forced to change the entry list and give more spots to the top leagues. And so, to me, this has felt like an even more glamorous than usual Champions League campaign. You look at this round of 16 field, and what passes for a Cinderella is like Ajax or Porto, and you compare it to the list of teams that were reportedly conspiring to form a Super League, and it's actually pretty similar. So we're kind of there already where you have these big boys in their own universe. Now, obviously, by organizing their own competition, they stood to make a lot more money, so I'm being somewhat facetious. That's not the same thing. But still, I'm very excited uh, for all the pageantry of the World Cup. The game at its highest level is now played in the Champions League knockout rounds. And when you throw in how obsessed uh, certain clubs are with winning this competition, how much their season is defined by winning the Champions League, it just adds this layer of drama. So I can't wait. I know it doesn't start up again until February, but having the draw really got me juiced. I am counting down the days because I think we are headed for another great Champions League knockout stage. All right. Once again, I'm going to channel your father here. I'm going to ask you a question uh, because it needs to be asked. And it's the first thing that popped into my head. Is this parity, shall we say, a result of these, shall we call them, lesser teams actually becoming better? Or is it a regression of those elites and those super clubs right now coming worse? You look at your Real Madrids and your PSGs and that type of stuff. Well, parity in the sense, I mean, I actually think this is a very star-studded Champions League knockout stage. But you, I mean, just to- you just told me that there's no real Cinderella team. Right, right, because it's all big teams. So uh, I look at it as we had a group stage that was already 
more star-studded than usual by, by the fact that they gave more spots to the bigger leagues. And then we didn't have anything even approaching a, 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 an upset in this group stage. I mean, if you had looked at it going into it and like which two teams you would project to come out of each group, yeah, there were a couple where like Ajax, Benfica was kind of a 50-50, maybe Tottenham, Inter was a 50-50. But, there, you know, you figure law of averages, eight groups, there's going to be one major surprise where you're like, wow, that team is a total Cinderella that came out of nowhere. And we didn't have that. So I think... It, 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 you end up with like what, what's actually a very, very star-studded round of 16 fields. So that's kind of my point. All right. Okay. Well, maybe I didn't understand your point. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, when I when I look at these teams, I, I, I agree with the fact that it is, it is star-studded in these brands that we have. Are these brands at their peak of their super clubness, if you will? No. But that's not necessarily a bad thing because – it makes picking this incredibly difficult. So, should we go through what we have? Right Absolutely. Here? Okay. So, number one, uh, let's have Schalke and Man City. Uh, I think that's a, that's a layup for Man City. All right. So that's a layup for Man City. I think there's if you're picking. Can I just make one larger point? Yes, of course. You can. Uh, we're, we're basing this on what these teams look like today, but a major caveat is these games are until two or three months from now. So. True. Uh, lots can happen to alter a perception, whether it's injuries, form, managerial changes, the January transfer market. Liverpool really struggled defensively the first half of last season. Then they signed Virgil van Dijk in January and were a different team. And plus, UEFA did away with the cup-tied rule. Yeah, so, that's it. Uh, la- la- you know, January last season, Barcelona signed Coutinho, but he couldn't play for them in the Champions League. A similar type of move this season, and the guy can actually play for his new team. So that's a major variable. A team like PSG, I've been criticizing their midfield. They lack a real pivot player. They've been forced to play Marquinhos there. They could theoretically theoretically go out in January and sign somebody really good, and all of a sudden, I would view them differently. So we're basing this on what we think of these teams now, but understanding that it might change. Do, do you like the fact that teams can completely change in this in, in, the, in the way that there is no cup-tied type of situation? Yeah, I never liked the cup-tied thing. a little bit thing. the wrong way. I mean, if it's a completely different team, then what are we doing here? But, in, I mean, in, there's no equivalent in, in any other sport. I mean, if you make a mid-season acquisition for a player, he can play for you in, in any competition you're in in any other oh, sport. But, it's weird for me but, to, to... Okay, but take the American soccer uh, or American sports template, if you will. If you could sign players at, when the playoffs begin... You could go get the best. No, no, no. But, I mean, there's a window. It's only in the, for a brief time in the middle of the season where you can make signings. I agree with you. Okay, if, but let's, you just, let, this is the playoffs here. And these teams are able to. This is basically the playoffs here. You well, got your but, final but, sixteen. They're in the playoffs. But in and they Amer- get to go sign in American want. sports, there's a trade deadline. So theoretically, a player could start the season on one team, and then if if before the deadline, another team acquires him, he's allowed to play the rest of the season for his new team. But it's not, not in like, the playoffs. Sure, he is. No, you can't sign players in the playoffs. What I'm well, saying is this final of well, 16, you're, you're framing I'm this looking at that as playoffs. As sort of play- okay, that's fair enough. I look at it as sort of a midway point of a competition. You went from group stage, and now you go to oh, knockout all right. stage. Okay, so, all right. All right um, let's, okay, so okay, Schalke and Man City, you're picking Man City. Absolutely, yeah. uh, I, I agree with you there. Atletico Madrid and Juventus. <laughs> very, very scary tie for Juventus. You know these are going to be like cagey games, nil-nil, one-nil, and it's going to come down to like one moment. Boring. And when people say cagey, it's boring, right? Is that really? <laughs> and okay. I just think Ronaldo is uh, the player most likely to have that moment on either side, so I'll pick Juventus to go through. I will too. Manchester United, PSG. I tell you what, there's no excuse for PSG losing this tie. I'm sure United fans uh, look at it and like say, look, PSG can be flaky in big games, mm-hmm. so maybe Mourinho can take advantage of that. 
But I mean, th- they should be well, able to overwhelm them. <laughs> <laughs> they should be able to overwhelm them with their talent. That front three of Neymar, Mbappe, and Cavani should feast on that United back line. This would be if PSG lost this tie, boy, this would be pretty embarrassing for them. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to pick. Yeah, that whole plan would yeah. <laughs> go up in smoke. I'm right? going to pick PSG to go through. Uh, okay, Spurs and Dortmund, uh, possibly being played in the new stadium, right? Is yeah, that, uh, let's I mean, hope. We've said that before, but... <laughs> exactly. You know, I've been chastised on Twitter today for not being more excited for this tie. When I've listed off what I think are the biggest ties in this round, I haven't included this one. It's a very good matchup, and I think it's it's like a 50-50, so I'm looking forward to it. Um, I don't know. I just don't feel like either one of these teams has a realistic chance of winning the competition, and either of them going out in the round of 16 wouldn't be that big a deal, so that's why I downgraded it a little bit. But no, it's going to be exciting. I'm looking forward to seeing Jaden Sancho playing in England against Premier Premier League opposition. So, like I said, it's it, boy, it's pretty close to a 50-50 for me. I guess I'll lean Dortmund, but Ooh, boy, that's not really? that's not said with a lot of conviction. All right, I'll say I'll say Spurs. Okay. Lyon and Barcelona. Layup for Barcelona. Okay. Uh, Roma Porto. I have no feel for this tie. Roma are a disaster right now. Uh, Di Francesco's hanging by a thread. There have been protests against Palotta. It's, it's amazing how when things go bad, they turn on the American owner like that. Now it's all these complaints that he spends too much time in Boston, not enough in Rome. It's, it's funny. Too, we did the American. Champions League last season, and like <laughs> he was like the toast of the town, of jumping course. in fountains and everybody. But listen, that being said, uh, who knows how good Porto really are. Uh, so this one is pretty close to a 50-50 for me. And actually, I'll, I'll go Rome. I think they get their, their problems figured out. Dzeko is, should be fit by then, and, and uh, Roma squeak through. All right. Ajax and Real Madrid. This one is really intriguing. It's great to have is it? Ajax. Really? Yeah, it's great to have Ajax okay. uh, back at this stage. I thought they acquitted themselves very well in the two games against Bayern. They almost won that group. Uh, they're oh, a very so they're talented back. In your team. mind, they're back. Uh, they're on the way back. Yeah, Tadic and Blin were two excellent acquisitions. They've got a lot of good young players like Nadez and Hakim Ziyech and uh, Frankie Young, who everybody in Europe wants, and uh, uh, Van de Beek. Uh, I, also, the Mexican Diego Lainez, it sounds like, is going there in January. So uh, they could be a handful, and who knows what you're going to get from Real Madrid. I mean, we're going to talk about the Club World Cup in a little bit, but to me, they look very vulnerable right now. We'll see what they look like in two or three months, but I'll pick Real Madrid, but I, I think it could be more interesting than, than people might suspect. All right. And then for me, the matchup of the 16, Liverpool, Bayern Munich. I'm actually strongly leaning Liverpool. Uh, I agree with what Jose Mourinho said this weekend. Liverpool, they play their intensity, their energy. They play 100 miles an hour. If you're not used to it, Bayern are an older, slow-footed team. I think Liverpool could give them a lot of problems. I think they match up well with them. Uh, they're the better team this season. So uh, I like Liverpool in this tie, which would be very sweet for Klopp. Also for Shakiri, who uh, was a big star this weekend against United, and will have a point to prove. He played for Bayern, didn't get much of a chance there. So, well, but yeah, that, I agree with you. That's that's the best tie, certainly. Well, now that you've been to Anfield and you're you know you're you're basically a Liverpool supporter. I've, I've so been. I, I I have to admit, <laughs> I've been, been sort injected, of sucked you know, in the infected <laughs> with it. Now, uh, I'm going to go with Bayern Munich. Wow, interesting. Yeah, that's, that's and uh, one last thing, a reminder, VAR is coming into playing the knockout stage, which we all think is a good thing. I read a couple of art- articles in English papers, and it had like a negative tinge to it. Like, oh, big wild card that English uh, clubs have to be aware of. There's going to be VAR in the knockout rounds, which what wild card? What, they're going to get the calls right now? I mean, like <laughs> Man City have to be ready that, you know, when Raheem Sterling trips over himself, they're not going to get a penalty now. So it's, I mean, <laughs> what are you talking about? It's like, a brave new world for those English clubs. <laughs> boy, oh boy, they're actually going to have to play by the rules. And, you know, they're, they're okay. All right, well, we'll see how it that all ends up. Uh, exciting stuff when it comes uh, to Champions League. Anything else, Mossy? Nope. All right, moving on. Ask Alexi. 
All right, it's time for Ask Alexi, that uh, moment in the pod where we answer some questions uh, with that hashtag Ask Alexi that you've sent over social media on the different platforms and Periscope and Twitter and Facebook. What do the folks want to hear about today, Mossy? All right, first up, at Benson T3974. Okay. Choose a better plan for the U.S. men's national team. A, develop a distinct system which is drilled down to the youth and choose the players that best fit that system or develop the skills of the most talented players and then con- consistently adjust national team strategy to fit personnel. All right, so no matter what, there has to be the ability to adjust and be flexible. But in no way, as the way that I look at a national team, does that mean that you betray your core principles and your ethos and, and uh, your, your system, if you will. Where does that come from? It comes from a number of different things, but ultimately it comes from the people in charge. Once again, I don't have to agree with it, but I want that core way of playing and belief to be established. So much so that I am willing to have patience and give time because, you know, we've talked about on this podcast today about the incredible uh, diversity that exists in our in our country, and with that comes diversity when it comes to how we think about the game and all the different ways that we think about the game. And from a national team perspective, until we establish this is what we are going to do as opposed to running around trying to be everything to everybody and constantly vacillating and going back and forth as to what we are, until we establish it, I think we are going to be spinning our wheels and wasting time and resources. So Benson T3974, I believe that developing a distinct system, which is drilled down to the youth with the recognition that that is a harder way to do it. And it is not immediate. With that recognition, I think that's what you do. Otherwise, I think we're just going to be beholden to whatever talent comes through this strange and at times ineffective type of funnel that we have that is just, it's a good player. All right, he's a good player. What I want to get to a point is saying, this is a good player for the national team because he or she, because this applies to both sides, uh, the men's national team and the women's national team, because he or she fits the template. He or she fits what we are looking for. I hope to, we get to that point. It's up to Greg Berhalter in this case, and maybe more so, not maybe, definitely more so, Ernie Stewart to lay it out so that there's an understanding that it goes even beyond Greg Berhalter. But, you know, that's that's easy to talk about. That's easy to say, and a lot of clubs and teams do. Very few of them actually are willing to take the time, the patience, and to have the courage to do something like that. All right, next. Uh, next up is at XX, the eight team XX. Wow. <laughs> okay. Very simply, Sala or Hazard? Oh, somebody, okay, yeah. So we talked about this before. I'm going to go, my, my problem with, is it Hazard or is it Hazard? <laughs> up in Michigan, we call him Eden Hazard, okay? Uh, so Eden Hazard, my problem with Eden, or however we're pronouncing it, is that he can be, for my money, the greatest player in the world, and he can suck. I mean, his, he, he is inconsistent. And the best players in the world, and you look at Messi, yes, they have some fluctuation, but the highs and the lows that Hazard has are concerning. Now, Mo Salah, yes, he gets hurt at times, but he's come back, and I think that Mo Salah... So my, my short answer is that I would take Salah over Hazard because I think he is less 
inconsistent. Um, and so, therefore, he's more consistent in the way that he does things. That's a better way to say it, probably. Uh, he's more consistent in the way that he uh, does things. I think he can do things individually, and so can Hazard, believe me. Uh, they're two wonderful, wonderful players. But I want somebody that's doing it consistently. There's more value to me that somebody can do it consistently, and I just think that he's more so than Hazard. Yeah, Salah was never going to score as many goals as he did last season, but he scored enough to put that one season wonder thing to bed. He is a phenomenal player, and and you know I, I saw him score live. Did I, did I mention I was at Anfield for the Liverpool Napoli game? No, I didn't. I hadn't heard that. So you would take Salah too? <laughs> uh, I think you're right. Uh, he's more consistent. Both of them on their absolute best day, I would slightly lean Hazard. I you think would. He's, uh, I, I can get that, uh, but yeah, the, it's fewer and farther in between those, right, those, right. those days. All right. And uh, lastly, at JST Believe, Stefan to Man City, thoughts? My thoughts are, you know, wherever, wherever he ends up playing, so, so first off, he's not coming till next June, which leads me to believe that, believe that they want to get him that work permit, which means me, me to believe that this isn't a buy and dump type of situation where they loan him out, which certainly has been done with plenty of, of players. Does it mean he's going to jump in and start right away? No. But I think that this is intriguing because this is an, a player of obvious quality. This is a player that knows how to play out of the back. This is a player who can uh, use his feet. So I think there is a value to him. My, my real interest lies in, in this path that he has taken because he went over early to Europe and he came back and he was very honest and upfront with the fact that he was not ready for that challenge. And in our zeal to create better soccer players and to have them playing overseas and, and different places, we have to really be careful because it's not for everybody and it's not for everybody at the time that we feel is appropriate. And so he's come back. He's certainly changed as a person, as a player. And I think he's going back as a much, well, look, he's going back as the number one for the U.S. in my estimation. He's going back. Uh, having had a number of years, I think he's going back as a more m mature player, but also a more mature person. I think he's better equipped to, to deal with, it's not just the kicking of the ball, it's everything. It's at times, it wouldn't be a different language here, but certainly when he was uh, over in different countries, it would be a different language. But just dealing with everything that comes in that 22 and a half hours that you're not playing the game. So... I'm happy for him. I think it's good for him. I think it's good for the national team. I think it's good for Major League Soccer to have this type uh, of story. But ultimately, like we say with everybody, it, it's about playing, and especially for a goalkeeper because you're not getting substitution appearances or anything. I was going to ask you, I mean, I don't think I'm being biased saying this as a Brazilian. He's got one of the best goalkeepers in the world, yep. Ederson, in front of them. Actually, the game I went to last week against Hoffenheim, Ederson made one of the best saves I've ever seen in my life on Cromrich. So if it was a scenario where he ended up being the number two there and not playing regularly, would you be concerned? And he's the number one for the U.S. and he's not starting regularly for his club? Well, you know, we've seen that at different times with some great teams in the world, Argentina. Uh, so it's, it's, not, it's not always a, right. a problem for the U.S. Yeah, we want him playing, and, and I would like him playing. It's not going to bum me out, and I'm not going to think less of him or be worried if he's the second at Man City. But, you know, there's also... A part of me, and once again, it goes back to this nationalistic and pride part of me, is that, okay, yes, he's coming in, and by all accounts, he's going to be behind one and arguably the greatest goalkeeper in the world. So why can't he be better? I mean, who, who knows? Who's to say he can't come in and be better? Yeah, you mentioned being good with his feet. You know, with Pep, that's 
more important oh than even God. being yeah. a shot stopper. Exactly. <laughs> like that's that's a, you know if if you talk to Pep about shot stopping, he'll be like, "Who says we're going to face any shots?" Yeah. <laughs> if we're keeping the ball the entire time, and the reason why we're keeping the ball is that I have that outlet exactly. to play back to the goalkeeper <laughs> and to switch the field to play, or I have that goalkeeper who's so good with his feet that he can. You know, be that outlet and break lines. I know Greg Berhalter talk about a lot about breaking lines and hit it over to that far side. Yeah, that's what you you have to do in the modern game. And certainly, if you're ever going to play for Pep in the way that he wants to play, so I think he's. Uh, I think that's a good thing. Yeah, your 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 buddy Matt Doyle on Twitter was already uh, the, the first City game after they announced they signed Stefan. They conceded a goal. Ederson was in goal, and he, he was already tweeting, oh, Zach Stefan would have saved that. So <laughs> I saw that, Matt. Uh, so we're going to have a fun little Brazil versus USA. And, and look, he still might be loaned out. You know, he, <laughs> might, he might get there, and he might loan him out. Uh, I, uh, regardless, I think this is good for his wallet uh, and his resume, his image, and I think ultimately we good for him as a player and the way we look at it from a national team perspective. So congratulations to him. It'll happen in uh, June, so he'll have another bunch of, theoretically, another bunch of games where he could start and do himself a a service in terms of trying to get that work permit for England. We know is so difficult at times, and and at this point, he they may we worry that he wouldn't qualify for it. Uh, that is it. That is it. All right, moving on. The back three. All right, it's time for our back three, where we look at some big stories, games, moments. Mossy, what do we have this week? All right, first up, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo recently gave an interesting interview to the Gazzetta dello Sport, which is un eccellente giornale. Oh, here uh, we Italia. go. And in talking about Messi, Ronaldo went out of his way to point out that he's done it in different countries, Portugal, England, Spain, Italy now, and, and he more or less challenged Messi to come to Italy. He said uh, he should come join me uh, and he should accept the challenge. So what do you make Ooh, of that? Gauntlet thrown. Um, okay, here we go. So this is this is nothing new. We've talked about this before on the pod in that Messi has been in this cocoon. And that's that's not that's not necessarily a bad thing. As a matter of fact, if you're going to be in a cocoon, have it be at one of the great clubs at one of the great times ever. So he's in a super club cocoon, a super cocoon, if you will. And it has made all the difference. And he's been in it since a young age, a young age. And he came about with a bunch of other really, really good players, as as we know. I always, because this evergreen debate of Messi-Ronaldo, whenever anybody asks this, and we've talked about this before, when everybody asks, I say it's Ronaldo, specifically because he has done it at multiple players, at multiple places, and I give more value and added value to a player that is able to adjust his game, his life, in order to fit into a different team, a different country, a different culture. And certainly Ronaldo has done that now in multiple places for different places right because he started in uh in, in portugal does that mean that that messi isn't a great player no do i i don't see messi coming out of that cocoon i, I, I see him as a lifer for barcelona can you imagine you could always kind of imagine cristiano ronaldo because he was always much more cosmopolitan and out there if you will in, in terms of his brand and the, and the way that he acted even the way that he played uh, and so it, it, I think it lent itself more to being a, you know, have ball will travel type of uh, player. Messi has always been, you know, a a homebody, if you will, and that's reflected in the fact that he has stayed there. And you know, like I said before, why should he go anywhere? He's at one of the great teams that is still great. He's still, I mean, if you've seen him over the last couple of weeks, he's still phenomenal. I mean, he he's 
incredible in what uh, in what he can do. So I, I don't think that this is necessarily Cristiano taking a shot at him. I think it's Cristiano saying, hey, look, the grass may or may not be greener, but I've found it, it's pretty nice over here. And, you know, I think he's also speaking in terms of Serie A and what they once had from La Liga, and it's, it's gone. Your friend, your partner is, is, uh, is gone, your foil, if you will. But I don't think that Messi's going to take the bait in that. I don't think he's going to say anything, but I certainly don't think, whether, whether Ronaldo says it or not, that we are going to see Messi anyplace else but Barcelona. Clip that one off. Famous last words, right? <laughs> it's funny. The Messi-Ronaldo thing is fading a little bit for me. Now that they're not in the same league, they're not playing for rival clubs. You know, neither one won the Ballon d'Or this year. Luka Modric won. I don't find myself constantly comparing the two this season as much as I have all these years. And, oh, Messi had a hat trick today. We'll see what Ronaldo does tomorrow to match him. Uh, so, you know, maybe these comments can kind of rev up the rivalry again. And obviously, if Barcelona and Juventus were to meet in the Champions League. But for now, like, it's it just not like front and center in my mind as much as it's been all the years when they're, they're not playing for, like, obviously arch rivals. All right. What else? Next up, the Club World Cup. Now, this conversation might not age well because uh, both Real Madrid and River still have to play semifinals. Real Madrid faces uh, Kashima Antlers of Japan, mm-hmm. and River Plate face Al Ain of the United Arab Emirates. Uh, and South American clubs have been picked off a couple times over the years in the semifinals of this competition, but everybody is projecting a Real Madrid-River final. So, again, the backdrop here, I've talked about this before, Europe has won this competition the last five years and 10 of the last 11, and most of the finals, frankly, haven't been that competitive. And so that's really underlined the chasm between Europe and everybody else and really added to the inferiority complex that South Americans have. But I mentioned 10 out of the last 11. The one exception was 2012 when a Corinthian side managed by current Brazil boss Chichi defeated Alex Dowd's Chelsea. And that was a Chelsea team that was nowhere near the best in Europe. They were kind of a fluke Champions League winner that year. They had finished sixth in the Premier League. And then in the ensuing season, they had been knocked out in the group stage of the Champions League. They fired their manager, Roberto Di Matteo. And so they kind of limped in there, and you felt like they were vulnerable. Well, there's a lot of talk that this Real Madrid team has kind of a Chelsea 2012-ish feel to it in that they weren't the best team in Europe last season. They just kind of got hot at the right time. They don't have Ronaldo. They don't have Zidane. They already fired Lopetegui. They're kind of bumbling around, beating teams like Huesca and and Rayo Vallecano 1-0, losing 3-0 at home to CSK Moscow, losing 3-0 to Ibar. So I I buy it. I think River definitely have a chance this year, and and we could have an upset in this competition. Uh, Okay, hold on. Do you think it's just... Hold hold a second here first, because I see Alex Alex Dowd's uh, head about to explode, and, and and I I, I understand. I I'm, I got you here. You do not fluke into no. winning Champions League, okay? <laughs> that that does not happen. You can be having struggles domestically in your league, okay? But you didn't just suddenly learn how to play soccer. And Real Madrid hasn't just suddenly forgotten to, how to play soccer because Cristiano Ronaldo has left. All right? Are they a changed team? Yes. When it comes to this, if Either of these teams are lucky enough to get through. And let's say that the soccer gods say, yes, we want to see this final, and they get through. All I heard after the River Boca final, the Madrid one, was, oh, it was wonderful to see the passion. The soccer on the field, well, it was rudimentary. It was regressive, <laughs> and it was a very different type of style than uh, the continental type of game that we are used to. And there, it, was, it was coming from this highfalutin type of, uh, of place. And what they were trying to say, at least I, I think they were trying to say, was they try really hard. Uh, there's a real physical aspect to it. 
they run really fast. They run around, but the actual technical and tactical <laughs> side that have become the hallmarks, at least in the way they see it, of European soccer were not on display to the extent that they would uh, have liked. Didn't mean it wasn't entertaining. But it was a very different type of soccer than many of the folks sitting in the stands and watching at home were used to if they were just coming to it from a European perspective. So having said all of that, I still think that if it is Real Madrid and River, it's, it's a done deal. Real Madrid, give it to them. Yeah, I, I just took the greatest moment in Alex Dow's life and completely belittled it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, a couple Fluke. of uh, <laughs> a couple of points of interest. If it is Ramadan River, uh, Santiago Salati, Ramadan's coach, played for River Plate, and also River have this midfielder Palacios, who's apparently going to sign with Real Madrid right after this competition. He already had an audition of sorts by playing the Libertadores final at the Bernabeu, but now he'll actually face the team that potentially that he's about to sign with. So we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, right, the else? Club World Cup final, by the way, is on on our air. Oh uh, yeah. You can see uh, Real Madrid, uh, you know, wipe the field with uh, <laughs> <a> River. <laughs> All right, and we'll end on this. Uh, with the end of the year approaching, uh, figured we'd take stock of the top European leagues and kind of where we are and who we think is going to win them. Oh, okay. Now, just to get a couple out of the way, PSG are obliterating the yeah. competition league. On. Nothing to talk about there. Juventus are eight points clear in Italy. I don't think anybody uh, doesn't okay, think they're so going to win I'm, that. I agree with both of those. I don't see anything changing in the new year because a lot of these – I, we talked about this on our Bundesliga cover the coverage this week, is that you turn this corner in the new year, and for teams, what you did in that first part of the year, sometimes it, it just, for whatever reason, just vanishes or evapor evaporates. And other teams that just weren't going, they you know, there's a new outlook on life. It's a new year. You're full of hope and promise. Uh, and sometimes it can bring some very, very strange things that new year, even though they're the same part of the season right now. I don't see that happening, like you said, in France. I don't see that happening in Italy, what else do we have? Well, Spain, it's, it's been a very compelling season, but Barcelona are looking strong now. They're in first place. They're three points above both Sevilla and Atletico. Real Madrid lurking five points back. Uh, I think Sevilla and Atletico are for real and are going to make things interesting until the end, but, but I definitely think push comes to shove. Barcelona wins it this season. Do you agree? Yes, I agree. But I also will see Real Madrid, uh, what, uh, another fluke, if you will. They're fluke, if you will, for Real Madrid. So don't sleep on Real Madrid. And so while Barcelona might be celebrating the uh, La Liga championship, uh, don't sleep on Real Madrid when it comes to Champions League. So yes, I do see Barcelona. Uh, now let's get to the two that I think are really interesting. First, the Bundesliga, which okay. we cover on Fox. Dortmund are nine points clear of both Gladbach and Bayern. With all due respect to Gladbach, if anybody's going to make up that deficit, it's going to be Bayern. Right. We're approaching the winter break here. It's nine points. Uh, but you still, if forced to choose, would pick Bayern Munich to I win have, so I'm going to stick with it. Uh, well, part of the reason is I'm excited that there is an actual race because we know that it, there hasn't been when it comes to the Bundesliga title. I recognize that a lot has to happen. I mean, you, you're, you're, you're counting on, first off, you got to win out if you're Bayern Munich, including your home game that you play against Borussia Dortmund, uh, as you would expect. But you're, you're, you're looking for them to lose a lot of points down the line. Now, I was talking to our friend Ian Joy. He seems to think that this can't last for Borussia Dortmund. The, the only thing that, that I will say is Bayern Munich still haven't said whether they're going to do it. Well, whether they're going to buy anybody. They've, they've talked about not doing anything in the January transfer window. I think Bayern Munich has a responsibility to do something in this transfer window to make it as close as possible and not to stand pat with what they have right now. But I do think that it's going to be fun coming down the stretch, and I think it's going to come down to the wire. Yeah, and I, I mean, do think Bayern Munich's going to find a way, ultimately, to come out on top. 
Yeah, it's a testament to how much respect I have for Byron that to me it's still like a 50-50 proposition. And Byron showing some signs lately. I know it's not the greatest opposition, but they beat Nuremberg 3-0, Hanover 4-0. I even liked uh, the Ajax game uh, going, getting a result there and winning their Champions League group. So they're starting to show some signs. Dortmund, they, they finished the first half of the season against Gladbach, and then two of their first three games coming out of the winter break are away to Leipzig, away to Frankfurt. And as you mentioned, they still have to go to the Allianz Arena. So I don't think there's any way that Dortmund cruise to the title. Bayern are going to make a run at them and it's going to be nip and tuck at the end and we'll see if, if Dortmund have the medal to kind of win a title race like that against Bayern. I don't know. To me, like I said, it's 50-50. And then we'll end on the Premier League, which uh, Liverpool one point ahead of City, uh, still unbeaten. I think we are headed for just an epic title race between these two teams. Uh, again, I, I'm sort of 50-50 on it, but I, I pick Liverpool and I'm going to stick with that. I, I think City are the slightly better team. There was an incredible moment uh, in the City game this past weekend uh, in the second half. They're beating Everton 2-0, dominating the game. Jesus with two goals. Sané and Mahrez wreaking havoc down the wings. Gundogan, Bernardo Silva, and Fernandinho dominating the midfield. And then they flash to their bench and you see Sergio Aguero, Kevin De Bruyne, and Raheem Sterling all sitting there. And you're like, my God, they don't even need... And uh, so, over a 38-game season, I don't know, part of me thinks that Talent will just win out, but I think Liverpool are only a hair below them in terms of quality, and I just have a sense that it's their year. There's a magic there. Things like the Origi goal against Everton are going to happen, and meanwhile, City could play just as well as last season but not have quite as many points just because the bouncers might not go their way, and Liverpool just pipped them in the end. For some reason, I just have a feeling that's where we're headed. And I will go the opposite, not just to go to the opposite, but you mentioned it. I think that ultimately City has more depth, and if and when... Look, if Liverpool's that juggernaut and nothing's changes, you don't have any injuries, you don't have any problems, you don't have any red card suspensions uh, down the line, they are, I think they're a better team, to be quite honest with you. Than City? If, when everybody's healthy and right, everybody's right. out there, I still think that they're a better team. But this isn't about a one-off game. This right. is about the attrition that can happen over the next six months. And, hey, well, not even the next six months, even the... The festive period, the festive season right here. A lot of stuff can change. And with so many games coming fast and furious. And if you if you get into a rut uh, for whatever reason, that's that's where I think Manchester City has the advantage. And like you mentioned, this, the firepower that they have either coming off the bench or coming back to potentially come off the bench, I don't – I just – I. I think, but I do agree with you that it's going to come down to the wire, which is good. It's good for viewers. It's good for it's good for us in terms of watching it because you want that race down uh, and you want to see when are they going to drop points if they're going to drop points going forward. Anything else? That's it. All right. Thank you so much for our back three. We have come to the end of yet another show, and at the end of each and every show, as you know, I give you my one big thing from today's podcast. Uh, we talked in our State of the Union about the changing voices in our game. Soccer isn't fair, and life isn't fair. We all understand that. And I mentioned that the ear uh, wants what the ear wants. I love the fact that I live in a country that has so much potential for growth. I am bullish, as you know, about American soccer. Not because we are perfect. We are far from it. Not because we don't have problems. We got plenty of problems. But because of the people involved and the creative and different ways that we can do things. And so when it comes to broadcasting, I'm incredibly uh, proud of the work that we do at Fox to 
push the envelope to do things differently. Does it all work? always work? No, but that's okay. And so whether it's NBC or whether it's BN or whether it's Turner uh, or whether it's ESPN, doing things differently, I think should be applauded. Not just to, as I said, just to do things differently. And so whether it's having different types of voices, whether it's having different types of personalities, whether it's the production of the game being done differently, it's okay to do that. I, I enjoy that. Even in, at times, the failure, there is a quality um, and there is something to be admired and respected because we are trying to do things to make the game better. As we go forward, there is a generation right now, unlike mine, unlike yours, Mossy, but a generation that is growing up, that is hearing and seeing all of these different types of voices and types and ways of broadcasting the game. And that's a good thing because they won't be saddled with the past that at times is burdensome and times is almost impossible for, for people to get rid of. They will look at the game in a very different way. They will hear the game in a different way. And it won't be jarring to any of them when they hear a voice that doesn't sound like what you and I and others and certainly others that are older would associate with traditional broadcasting. And the sooner that happens, the better. Because ultimately, I think it gives you a better product and a better production and a more interesting product. And it brings more people into the tent. And we've talked about this before. We need as many people into the tent as possible and as many different types of broadcasts and thoughts about the game and the way that we broadcast the game. Now, I can't tell you what to love. I can't tell you uh, that this is something that you should love. Sometimes it takes time and sometimes you're never going to change. That's, that's okay. But it's coming. The changes are coming and I think it's changed for the good and I think ultimately it creates an American soccer culture an American soccer family that is unique, is different, that we can all be proud of because of the diversity um, and the difference relative to the way we broadcast other sports in our country or the way the sport of soccer is broadcast around the world. And I think ultimately that will make all of the difference. All right, Mossy, anything to add before we leave? Italian lessons are going great. Yeah, and actually, uh, on the flight to England, I sat next to a Italian girl from Sicily. Well, you buried the lead here. We, Hold we, on a second. All right. Uh, we, we chatted uh, for about 10 minutes, and then she zonked out the whole rest of the flight. But still, for those 10 minutes, she said my Italian was great. She could understand everything I said. And then we went to a pub in Liverpool where all the Napoli fans were hanging out, and I chatted with them, and they understood everything I said. So very positive uh, week in terms of the whole Italian thing. Ten minutes in heaven with David Mossy. Beautiful. We should all be so lucky. All right. Have a wonderful week. Thank you so much for listening. Hit us up on Twitter, on Facebook, uh, on Periscope, all the different platforms out there, and let us know what you think. We appreciate all the different comments and questions that we guess we get. Use that Ask Alexi hashtag. Uh, this is our last episode, full episode of the year. As I mentioned, we'll be having some special holiday uh, episodes that are going to be dropping with a bunch of different uh, subjects and some retrospective type of things. Uh, so I want to take this moment to wish you and yours a wonderful, wonderful holiday season. Merry Christmas to those of you that celebrate Christmas out there. Have a healthy and a happy holiday season and a wonderful, wonderful 2019. We got all sorts of stuff for you planned in 2019. 2018 was 
nuts. I, I look back on it and it was absolutely crazy. We couldn't be more happy and proud to be able to give this to you on a week, uh, week in and week out basis. Thank you, Mossy, for all the work that you do, not just with this podcast, but for all of us here at Fox when it comes to soccer. You are a uh, breath of fresh air and a wonderful partner to have you here. Thank you to everybody behind the scenes for all the work that we do, uh, that you do to make us sound and look good on a uh, weekly basis. We will be back again next year with full episodes. But until that time, as always, size the deck.